Welcome to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese, a program that can help you become liberated in the modern world. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin W. Reese. So have you ever thought about turning your backyard into a farm to make a living? And have you ever thought about homesteading, especially due to the fact that the world is changing right now? Welcome to episode number 63. Today, I'm talking to the urban farmer, Curtis Stone, through his book, his YouTube channel and his membership programs, he teaches people how to take your property and turn it into a market farm so that you can make a living. In this conversation, we're going to talk about a lawn being just a cost center, how farming and gardening is meditative, growing fruit in colder climates with the use of a greenhouse, water collection, solar energy, Capturing photosynthesis, not being able to rely on gas. And we're going to detail everything that he's doing to get himself ready for the big changes that are happening in the world right now. Curtis, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for having me. So, how many people have come to you looking for help with growing food since the pandemic? Oh, geez. <laughs> I don't even know. It's just it's, it's insane. Yeah. I've been telling them the same thing. I've been talking about this stuff forever. Not necessarily a pandemic, but right. some kind of event that's going to make uh, it difficult to access food. And, you know, my, my YouTube audience or my memberships, you know, that's what I do and that's what I'm there for. But it's, it's funny when people that I've known for so long are all of a sudden, hey, can, now, can I have your time now? You know, there's almost two types of farming experiences we have the market farm and then you have the survival farm Mm -hmm. totally (laughs) and i saw a video where you revealed i guess we can say that you got together with four or five buddies and created a farm just for emergency basically Mm -hmm. which is completely different from your business which is Mm -hmm. you know this is your livelihood is growing food it's 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 very different yeah. I I can tell you're you know, you're you've been preparing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, we I don't screw around. I've been preparing for this stuff for a long time though, because I've no I've always known like I, that's what got me into farming back in two thousand and eight. Yeah. Was uh yes. you know, looking at the whole geopolitical situation of the world and going, Okay, you know, we're, it's not going to be gravy forever. There's going to be a reckoning coming at some point, whether it's debt, political, cultural. We're in all those now, I think. But um, yeah, that's what got me into it. So I've been preparing in many different ways. You know, my house is 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 crash proof. It's off grid or has the ability to be off grid if the grid goes down. Grid tied. Yeah, it's grid tied, but we have batteries and all that. Um, and so, uh, and and we're we're on twelve kilowatts of solar here. And then we you know, wow. grow a massive amount of own, our own food. As far as my little quarter acre that I live on, we grow, I would say, at least 90% of the fruit and vegetables that we eat in a year, including mm. the winter. Mm. 
so I mean, we've been, we've been, you know, and I've been learning, I've been skilling up, I've been learning how to do all this stuff along the way. So we've been, yeah, not that I've been looking forward to this time, but I, I've certainly been preparing for it as I've seen it coming for many years. Dude, 2008 is really not that long ago. You're, you know, you, you've, you've created an expertise pretty quickly. Uh-huh. Back then, anyone that was on the tip was like 2012, 2012, yep, 2012. Exactly. That's right. That's what it was for me too. And nothing happened, at least not physically. Anything That's right. Happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was doing my little prepping here and there. I was like, you know, dibble dabbling, but I never went all the way. It sounds like you went all the way. I went all the way. <laughs> I, I mean, as, as far as I could go with the resources and, uh, and, uh, that I had available to me, um, you know, uh, we're definitely going further. We just purchased a large acreage way out of the city. So that's our next step is uh, we've got about 50 acres that we're, going to be developing uh all the sort of the whole thing of human uh human uh existence food water shelter energy so we're going to be putting in some long-term perennial crops there lots of tree crops nuts nuts and things like that putting in water harvesting systems putting in the off-grid energy systems and then uh yeah putting in a farm really a, a small farm but uh yeah preparing a larger piece of land that uh, if things go south in the city that that's where we can go and we might just move out there we'll see we'll see yeah, how I was we just, like it i was just gonna say a fifth day you could start a community a small one you could and and you know i i don't want to uh we certainly that's kind of what we're doing as far as our closest friends and our family that's what that's what that's for um because i just you know when i look at how things are going right now i'm not i'm not optimistic about the masses, I think people like myself and maybe yourself and people that see what's going on, I think we'll be fine. Um, but uh, it's going to get tough in the cities and stuff. So I, so I don't really want to be here for when that happens. I have young kids too. I don't want my kids being in there either. I, even the whole mask thing. I'm just like, I'm tired of it. I, I'm tired yeah. of my kids not seeing people's faces. Like I don't want them. I don't want that to be their founding memories. And that's you know, it's so my kids are before the age of seven and that's where so much stuff is important and, and impressionable on their minds and their yeah. memories yeah. and their sort of foundational years. I don't want them growing up around social distancing and masks and nonsense. You create your own, you create your own bubble. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. yeah. It's working for the NBA. It's working for the Amish. It's working yeah. for uh, the Quakers and the Mennonites. Right. So why not do the same? The Amish is like the standard, man. They've been unbelievable. Mastered it. Totally. When when the lights go out, they're not even gonna know. No. <laughs> no. So, like many people, I've been wanting the garden for a long time. And when the pandemic happened, I said, now is the time. I started my little garden, little 104 square foot garden. Yeah. Just to, you know, you know, get my rookie season under my belt here. But never, never until I found your YouTube channel did I ever think, oh, turn my backyard into a farm and make a living. <laughs> and so I, I appreciate this knowledge that you're passing on to people with your book, The Urban Farmer, and your YouTube channel. Mm. I could, me and many others with a quarter acre or less could actually turn this into a livelihood, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I did that for 10 years. Um, and then I, you know, I, I, 
on the side of me farming, I was making YouTube videos and wrote a book. And so I, I built a whole career off my farm that that's what I've, I've fully transitioned to, uh, starting two year two or three years ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, absolutely. And going forward, that's probably going to be more necessary than ever. We're going to have to find ways to, um, transact with each other and provide value to people in our communities with things that are done here, localized, you know, cause who knows what'll happen geopolitically with China where so much stuff comes from, um, as well as agricultural products, uh, things that are, things that the agriculture sector use such as pharmaceuticals and fertilizers and pesticides for conventional agriculture that a lot of that stuff comes from China. So we go into a sort of um, an American cold war. It could, it could make the necessity for local growing massive. And I mean, it's important now and there's already, there's all, there's been for many years, a really strong niche market where people can, um, make a living growing on small acreage like I did for 10 years. And, uh, you know, our farm, the height of our farm, when I dialed everything in over the, the, pre- the previous eight years, the last two years of our production, we exceeded $100,000 of sales on a quarter acre. Mm. And that net was probably somewhere around 50. Like that's what I would take home as the, um, uh, the owner proprietor mm-hmm. of the business. But I had a full-time employee and, a, and a, another full-time guy in the summer and uh you know this is, this is a good a good living you know and and those numbers in tough times would probably be even higher because the value of food goes up when times get tough so you know the, the career i built on farming was really based around niche market high value crops to high value customers like restaurants and fancy catering organizations and things like that where they're paying a premium for specialty product often delicate product like salad greens and microgreens and cherry tomatoes and stuff like that. But in an environment where just bare necessity food is so valuable, we could see a four or five or six, maybe even 10 times increase of the cost of of the price of food. Mm -hmm. And so if that's the case, um, people growing a quarter acre of potatoes will be making a lot of money. Whereas I would have never told people 10 years ago that you could make money on a quarter acre of potatoes to make the kind of money I did on a quarter acre. You got to do salad greens and microgreens and fancy, uh, expensive crops. But in a, in a market where everything's inflated, any kind of farming product is, is going to be valuable. Mm. So 50 grand net, that's that's a decent living and not only that but you're doing it from your house obviously you're not going into an office somewhere you're not mm-hmm. you're saving gas money sort of oh big time and you get to be home with the kids well, that's it and that and that's that's the thing that i've really tried to sell people on uh with the idea of of making a living from your farm at home is yeah, the money's important. And in my book, I, I lay that out because I want people to understand the economics of it. And I want people to plan realistically and build a career for themselves. There you go. Yeah. And, um, but it is the lifestyle that is in my opinion, the most superior, um, appeal to it because work isn't so much work when it's integrated into your, your lifestyle flow. So if you have children and, and you've got a little homestead and, you're working from home in the garden and the kids are with you and they're learning. So you're stacking functions. You're, you know, the kids are getting a real firsthand quality education. 
um, about where their food comes from and seeing their parents work has its own value and merits too when you're raising children. And uh, there's so many things that you stack. So if you only measure the dollar value, say the net, like you said, was $50,000 on a quarter acre, but my kids are there with me and uh, I don't have to go away from my family it integrates into the lifestyle that that has such a higher value than just the dollars and cents that it really uh, lends itself to a very rich and holistic lifestyle. Sure. Even if you sort of broke even after expenses and I mean all bills. Yeah. It, it's almost still worth it because you're, you're home. <laughs> you're, you're free. It is. It is. And that's, you know, that's one thing that's, that doesn't really get talked a lot about homesteading. And it's got, it's got to be the most, um, and this would be, I guess we would call this farmsteading. It's homesteading if you're growing food like we are. Farmsteading is where you're like homesteading, but you're also pr producing a commercial crop. The, the, the biggest value of whether it's homesteading or farmsteading is that all the work you do, especially in a home, more of a home setting contest, you, you, you go and you, let's say you chop some firewood or you harvest vegetables for dinner and you go and pick some fruit. My daughter's in the, in the greenhouse, you're picking figs right now. Um, <laughs> that work is entirely yours and yours alone. Nobody has, um, there's no slavery involved in that, right? Whereas I, I do believe that we live in a, in a modern slavery system with income tax and the way the birth certificates work. And we're basically these commercialized, compartmentalized, units of production for this for the system but when you're living on the land and the work you do is yours and yours alone you're that much less of a slave you know you're you there's so much there's layers of sovereignty that we can achieve through it but it's it is a beautiful thing to just go out and say chop firewood and then that firewood heats your home and better yet is you you cut that firewood from the deadfall in the forest on your land and then that yeah. heats your home that work and that energy is yours and yours alone nobody has rights uh and can take that from you That's it's right. quite liberating it, it seems so i got about a quarter acre in the suburbs and i'm sort of making steps steps you know it's hard to do all at once mm -hmm. you know it's more than <laughs> the average person's doing that's for sure oh big time but the thing is, is that right now with all this stuff going on, uh, Americans, uh, North Americans, Westerners in general, need to recognize that there's so much ability to grow your own food right where you are. Mm. Like in my book, I cited uh, some, some USDA statistics. Actually, they were just American and North American average statistics of the si the average size of a lot in North America. Yeah. And I believe in the book, uh, it was the average home in North America has at least 2000 square feet. It might even have been 4,000, but just say 2000 square feet of lawn. And that's a, that's a lot of that. That's a lot of area. You know, if you, like my lot is a quarter acre, my front yard, which is all garden is 1100 square feet. And then my backyard is about 25, three, three, 3000, which is all garden as well. You know, if the average person in North America has access to 2000 to 4000 square feet of growing area, hmm. we could literally grow all the fruits and vegetables we need right hmm. where we live. That's right.
And so it's kind of, it's kind of cool because if we go into sort of a cold war type scenario, it's nice to know that America is very set up for that because there, there's the history of the victory gardens, yeah. you know, in, in world war two, they had all those propaganda posters about victory gardens and all that. So we can do that again. Um, my, my, my one concern is that people are so disconnected these days. They're so connected to the online world, but they're so disconnected from their spiritual higher self, but also the, uh, mm. the land. And my concern is that in tough times, you know, when we have rioters and people like this smashing up cities, um, there's so many urbanites that don't know anything about growing food. Mm that that could be a little bit challenging, but, but we'll see the land is there. The resources are there, you know, it's the will and the people aren't necessarily there. Very rarely does somebody wake up in the morning and look at their lawn and say that right there is useless. Mm -hmm. I know (laughs) because the lawn is doing nothing unless you play on it a lot, but yeah, exactly. You're just mowing it. Yeah. Just for it to grow again. It's a complete cost center. It's just, I think a lot of people are switching on to that. Um, I don't know if it's a majority yet or if we've hit some sort of cultural zeitgeist with that thing, but a lot of people are waking up to that. And the lawn is sort of a symbol, in my opinion, of the excess of the baby boomer generation. Yeah. Of how like there was so much stuff and abundance that they thought, I have land. Why would I grow food? Cause there's so much of it and it's so cheap everywhere else. Why would I spend any time doing that? Right. But right. that's, that's changing now. People are the, the, at least the consciousness is changing that I see people are aware of it. You know, ever since I've been doing this, you know, I've commercially farming for 10 years, but I've also been growing like my, my, my entire property is a garden. And even though I'm not commercially farming right now, uh, every time people walk by, they go, that is so cool what what a smart thing to do with your land and when i was farming it was the same thing i never had anybody on all the over 20 different plots that i farmed in my commercial multi-locational urban farm operation never did i have anybody walk by and go oh that's weird why would you do that everybody for the last 10 years has been oh that's so smart it makes so much sense they're completely converted over just by seeing it no i don't have to tell them anything i don't have to talk about food security i don't have to talk about anything they just see it and they go that makes sense. The front, the front lawn. Yeah. Do we, do we have to get permission from the town to grow on the front lawn? I never asked permission. I just did it. I'm, I'm just that kind of guy. I mean, I, I don't, I don't care <laughs> <laughs> because it's my property and the common law is uh, what's yours is yours. And uh, if you, there's no crime without a victim. And so I, I would encourage you, I don't want people to get in trouble, but at the same time, apologize I think later. People, yeah. Yeah. People need to start standing up though. Like it's, it's the fact that that's a thing is, is ridiculous. Would you put a fence around it in the front yard? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And that's exactly what I've done in my front yard. My front yard has a really nice, looks like it's not wrought iron, it's steel, but it's looks like that. Let's talk about crops. Yeah. You and I have similar climates. You're in Canada, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm in Harford, which is about two hours North of New York. Oh, okay. You mentioned fruit. And so I'm a fruit guy. I love fruits to death. A lot more than vegetables. And But I look outside and I'm like, well, I can't grow oranges. I can't grow no. mangoes. Yeah. What can I grow besides apples? We know apples and pears grow. 
Yeah. Besides apples and pears, what can I grow? I saw your greenhouse and I was very, <laughs> I fell in love with that thing right away because I see you're growing figs. Yeah, I got lemons and limes and oh. figs and oranges. Now, yeah. are you are you able to grow the citrus because it's in the greenhouse? Yeah, yeah, because this greenhouse is is heated in the winter. Um, that's where I am right now as I record this. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you can't do that stuff outside. You grow apples, cherries, uh, nectarines, grapes, grapes, raspberries, goji berries, blackberries. There's a lot of fruit you can grow. Just, grapes, yeah, definitely. Grapes stand out. Uh, something, you know, just vine it. Super easy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I love growing grapes. I wish I had more. But they, they get they get more and more abundant every year. I'm growing so, me- I'm growing melons out here and yep. I didn't I didn't trellis them this year, so they're they're taking over the garden. They're taking over. Yeah, that's okay. It's better to put them in an area where they don't smother everything out or trellis them like I do. It works really well. Yeah, what I was thinking of doing is getting the cattle panel and doing the tunnels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then just have the, you know, the yeah. melon, melons and squash go up. Totally. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful thing, and it's neat because then they hang through it, and it's super easy to harvest. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I'm gonna probably try that up at my new place because I've just got so much more land to play with up there. Um, yeah, I've been I've been limited on what I've been able to do here because of my space, but it's been really neat actually over the last 10 years, learning to farm commercially and homestead on a very small limited space that when I go out into, a, you know, 50 acres, I can try other things. And so it's, I'm kind of excited. That it's kind of a new chapter, but there's so much value in the small scale too, because in permaculture, they refer to it as the zones and, 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 and where you have your home and then you'd have what is like considered a zone one, which would be the closest things that you want to have, the closest food you want to have to you. So like your kitchen garden, your herbs, things like that, uh, vegetables that you can plant in a tight space. And then the zone two would be things that you need a bit more space, fruit trees and grapevines and stuff like that. And then a zone three could be things like some grazing animals and stuff like that. So you kind of orientate your homestead around the proximity to where you are. And so there's so much value in learning the small scale. That's why my, my book is valuable to anybody, uh, even who's homesteading, because understanding how things work in a small scale will solve the biggest problems for you at the homestead. Because you in that zone one area, that's really where you're going to spend 90% of your time. So in that area, that's where you want it to be really efficient and, and, and seamless and, and it works really well with your lifestyle and it gives you most of what you need and then you plan out from there. What would you say, and you mentioned this earlier very briefly, but what would you say are the top five commercial crops and the top five survival crops? A little different. Yeah, they'd be different. I mean, previously to this COVID stuff, I would say lettuce number one spinach number two microgreens number three radishes number four and uh turnips number five wow. Th- those are the ones that f- for me were the for the best money makers as far as um yeah which is what delivered the biggest returns for us with the least amount of work wow and then on survival crops i would say Potatoes, right? Potatoes for sure. Squash, like winter squash, another onions, like a red onion that keeps tomatoes because you can preserve them. No melons, huh? <laughs> well, they're not, not really. I mean, not a big yield. 
Well, not well. The yield's okay. It's just that I'm thinking of storage, right? And 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 how you can. I mean, I'd probably put a fruit in there. I'd probably put raspberries in there because you you can produce so much um, in a short period of time, and you can freeze and preserve them. That it's nice to have some kind of sugar. Mm. So what about I, I, cucumber pickling? Yeah. How come onions? Curious. Because everybody, you need onions for cooking, right? And right. and they keep really well. Like my red wing onions, I can store for over a year. And so that, that has a lot of value. Hmm. Uh, you can trade them with people. They, they could almost be a form of currency. So they're- uh, yeah. Onion is technically a medicinal plant as well because it's white. It has a, yeah. Most, okay. most whites are medicinal like garlic. Yeah, that's what they say. I don't know much about that, but I've heard that for sure. How how do you have the farm and be off grid? Can you solarize the whole thing? And what about water collection? Our plan at the at the new acreage is it is off grid. There's no utilities out there. It's way out in the boonies, and um, and uh, so we have to produce all those things there. So we have water. There's a well on the property. Um, the property's on a slope. And so what we're going to be doing is uh, building some more water harvesting features into the landscape. One thing we, we, we're going to be doing is creating what are called swales. And that's where you basically, you have a hill like this, looking on it on, a side, on the side, you basically carve a trench into the ground along the contour. So keeping at a level line, you're basically carving a ditch like this into the, so the hill comes down, you dig out an area and then you put that dirt on the underside. And then you do that all around for a long, a long area. It could be a, a mile long. It just depends on, on your land. And as the, as it rains or as snow melts, it comes down into that area and water always settles there. And so what it does is it puts water into the land there but it'll also fill up. And then once it gets to a, past a certain point, you could have a dam on one end of it. And then you put what's called a level sill spillway at, at the end. And so as you get a lot of days of rain or whatever, that swale fills up. Once it gets past a, a certain uh, height, you decide whatever that is, say two inches, then it starts to fill into a bigger catchwater dam. And then you're you're keeping water in the landscape that's irrigating trees and things that you plant along there. And it basically greens uh, the area. Cause our, we're in a, we're in a desert here, a high desert. It's very mm. brown and dry, like Southern California. And so we need those kinds of things to, wow. um, you know, and, and this is, this is kind of goes into a bigger, bigger conversation of capturing as much photosynthesis as possible Yeah. in, in, a, in a scenario where you are limited in your energy and uh and resources you want to capture as much sunlight as humanly possible in order to do that you need to have lots of plants because plants are the most efficient way to capture light mm -hmm. and so the more plants you have the more water you have the more energy you have because you can you can burn and use plants to create energy in, in their own way as well right growing trees you can harvest those trees and burn them mm -hmm. uh, for firewood and so capturing photosynthesis is like one of the most important things you can do on your land wow yeah, I, I never thought of that. I appreciate that right there. How about catching water off the roof? Yeah, absolutely. That that's a really easy way to do it. But that's only going to give you enough water to drink a little bit. Um, if you want to, if you want to capture water to irrigate larger parts of land, you need 
far more significant capture. How about filter? You you on your Berkey Berkey? Can? Oh yeah, we yeah oh yeah we got a Berkey. We we have a Kangen here at home, and uh, that's for the city tap water. But um, yeah, up there we'll have a Berkey. At this property, we've already got a a, a fairly large uh, concrete cistern that captures some of the water up on the hill. Um, and so yeah, we'll probably put that through the Berkey. But at the same time natural water man is there's something to it it's it's uh you got a lot of minerals and stuff so you got to test it of course to see what's there but i'm really looking forward to just actually drinking real natural water would you say solar is the bulk of the expenses when putting a homestead together yeah you mean solar energy yeah yeah i mean it all depends on where you are but that's my plan like i'm I'm budgeting about a hundred grand to uh upgrade this property wow. to get it to where i want and 50 of that is going to be going to solar wow yeah i haven't got the quote back yet but what i'm looking to put in is about 20 kilowatts of solar and then uh at least two well i don't want to, I, I might not necessarily use tesla batteries but about you know, 30 to 40 kilowatts of energy storage. So it's probably starting at 50 grand. But from there, I mean, it's a lot. I mean, we've also got wind power up there too that we could utilize. Mm -hmm. Wind power is sweet too, because depending on where you are, sometimes wind, you capture more wind at nighttime and even in the colder seasons, like at this particular property, the majority of the wind blows at nighttime during the winter. Mm. which is amazing because you're not getting any solar energy at that time. And so, it, so having a, a bit of both might be a good thing. We'll see. But the nice thing about this property is we're fairly high elevation that we get a lot of sun and it's above the cloud line. So we actually get sun year round. I feel that solar is so important and something that a lot of people don't think about is, well, gas is cool, but then what happens if the gas prices inflate? <laughs> And they will. What if it's twenty dollars a gallon? How how yep. how are we going to fill up our generators? How are we going to drive? Absolutely. How are you going to use a chainsaw? Yeah, I'm I'm there, hundred percent. I mean, I we're we're electrifying everything at our new property. Everything. Uh, we have a generator up there, and we'll use it if we have to. It's but a good backup. It is a good backup. But no, we're setting up this property be to be one hundred percent electrified, and we're at a really nice time actually in history. Uh, in that it's kind of going that way anyways. Like I, I still think peak oil is a, is a thing like that we are going to pass the point of where we're getting less out of the ground than we were before. And with a growing population and uh, as energy consuming as our lifestyles are, it's just not sustainable. Right. And so yeah, I think I think it's super important. Um, and looking at all those things too, because mi micro hydro is a is a really solid energy source that a lot of people overlook. You can generate your own hydroelectricity on a very small amount of water as long as you're close to a flowing water source. Uh, even if you have a groundwater source and have the ability to pump water uphill that you can store for hydroelectric energy on the way down. Hmm. So a lot of people set up what are called um, at least I know them as pond hydroelectrics. So they'll, they'll basically have these solar ram pumps or even just ram pumps, but a solar ram pump can pump more water uphill quicker. You have some kind of water source down below and you got to be on a, a decent elevation of land where you're getting a few hundred feet of head pressure. And when the sun is shining, 
and you, you're producing excess energy, you're taking that excess energy to pump water uphill into a catchwater dam. Hmm. And if you have a few hundred feet of head pressure to go down, you can release that water into another down, dam down below and generate electricity from it. And then when the sun is shining up again, you can pump it back up. Whew. So it's a way, it's a, it's sort of a way of storing kinetic energy. And you can do that when you have an excess of solar. Cause that's the situation we're going to be in up at our new place is that if we have, if we do go with 20 kilowatts of solar, that's going to, at a day like today in the middle of, you know, it's 10 AM here and it's the middle of summer. My, my home is producing a massive amount of energy. And when it's when the batteries are charged which they're probably almost charged at this point it just dumps everything else into the grid and so but when you're off grid there's nowhere else to dump that energy so what are you going to do with it you should do something with it otherwise you're just turning off solar panels which sucks sure sure you should be doing something with that energy so for me that's that's what we're going to be trying is, is is pumping water around and seeing if we can later harness energy on the return wow dude you're neck deep <laughs> is your is your wife cool with this or is she following she your lead? It. She loves it. Yeah. Okay. She was uh she was a a real city girl like professional photographer, lived in Vancouver for 15 years. Never thought she'd have kids, but now she she loves it. She loves the homesteading life. She loves being a mom. Yeah. And uh yeah, it's great. It's great. It's it's so much more satisfying. You know, I spent 20 years on a computer and or a microphone. Yeah. Going out and doing work, like you said earlier, your own energy, your own thing. Yeah. There's something just, there's something about it. And it's very, it puts you in the present moment too. It does. And that's, that's what I'm really looking forward to. You know, I've, I've built a career to being a content creator. I've been doing podcasts and videos forever. It's exhausting. <laughs> it is. I mean, I like, I, I like the work I do because for the most part, I'm making content about me being on the land. And so I kind of stack a function there because I'm doing that anyways. Uh, and then I can, I can sell content from it as well. But no, nothing more do I want in life than to just live on the land, raise my kids with, with my wife, and just do that. I would love that. And I wish more people could do that as well because I think if more and more people start doing that, we are going to find the power of our true nature through that act. Because as you said, uh, when you're doing that kind of work, you're very connected to the land and you're connected to yourself and you're connected to the God, you know, the, the divinity in my opinion. And uh, that's, I think that's what we're, we're, I think we're going two different ways in the world right now. There's like people going towards the 5g, the high tech in the cities, everything uh, compartmentalized and computerized and uh, completely disconnected from humanity and, and nature. And then the other direction is the 5D, the people going towards the higher self and the connection and the community and the, the understanding um, of nature and, 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 and how that whole system is a holistic thing to you. It's all, it's all connected to you. We're all part of it. Uh, I think there's, there's, there's a big splitting off in society that we're really going to see over the next 10 years. And I, I definitely want to, don't want to be going on the, on the 5G path. Yeah, I have experience with ashrams. You know, you live there and you do your seva, which means service. And it's beautiful. You work in the garden or you sweep or yeah. you work in the kitchen. And yeah. it's, it's, it's that simplicity, man. Yep. 
Oh yeah. I, I got into meditation and things like that when I was a lot younger. And uh, I really got into uh, Zen Buddhism when I was about 16 and mm -hmm. was regularly meditating and things like that back then. I don't regularly meditate anymore because I have found that meditation comes through just working on the land. That's right. And I think you experience that in those ashrams, though I've never been. But, I, but, I, uh, but when I hear people talk about those experiences, I think that's... And, and even the Buddha talked about that, is, is making the meditation part of your lifestyle and what you do. And I think uh, that's, for me, that's, it's, it's all in the garden, you know? And, and it's the best time that I have with my kids too. Like my daughter, who's three and a half now, she, that's what she wants to do with me every day. She's like, mm. daddy, let's do some gardening. Let's go in the garden. Oh, daddy, I love doing stuff in the garden with you. And so not only am I getting food out of my actions there, I'm stacking all these functions. I'm producing a yield, which is coming back and nourishing our family. I'm spending quality time with my, with my daughter. Uh, my son's getting in there now too. And I'm also having this holistic connected experience that is totally meditative. Mm. And it, it's like, where, what else can you do in life where you get all those things at once? That's right. I'm glad you brought up your experience with, with Zen. That's typically what this podcast is about. Yeah, I know. <laughs> inner peace. Yeah. If you look at the guests, you're an anomaly right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you did have one guy. You had, what's his name on? Uh, Santos Bonacci. That's oh, the guy. Santos. Yeah. yeah. That's another animal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's an interesting dude. That guy, he's a deep into like the free man and sovereign movement. I've watched a number of his videos. It's very rare to somebody come on this podcast and it's not about some sort of spiritual tradition. Mm -hmm. But this all relates back. I feel that preparation is part of inner peace. Mm -hmm. I would love to get you and Bob Wells on at the same time. Are you familiar with Bob Wells? No, I'm looking at your, uh, <laughs> looking at a picture Bob of Bob Wells now. is a big YouTuber. He, he does what you do, but for van life. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. You can't right miss on. him. Big beard. Yeah. I can see the picture here. He's all about being free in a van. He's lived in a van for 25 years. Oh, geez. <laughs> no. He must not have kids. <laughs> so two interesting perspectives, but the same desire for freedom yeah and to be disconnected from the society mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is a greenhouse necessary yes yeah for getting your seedlings but for extending your season and also the fact that weather isn't always how you expect it so 100 percent greenhouses all the way um, I've really done a lot of research into this thing called the grand solar minimum. And, mm. uh, I, that's what I believe is happening is that we're actually going into colder times. Uh, I've had a couple of guys on my, um, my channel, the ice age farmer and, uh, David that. Dubine from adapt 2030. And these guys present a lot of interesting information. And, uh, I often believe that, um, everything is the opposite of what the establishment tells us. So I kind of, cause the, the, the further I've gone into that stuff and explored the sort of esoteric nature of the things that they do, they often do that. They often invert things. And so I, I, I I'm not sitting here saying I'm a hundred percent that, that uh, grand solar minimum is a thing. Uh, if it's happening, 
I think the information's compelling, but I wouldn't put it past them that it's the opposite of what the global warming people say. But needless to say, whether you believe in the climate change narrative that the, the mainstream media has spoon fed to us for the last 20 years, or you, you, you buy into the grand solar minimum or somewhere in between, the fact of the matter is the weather patterns do change on this planet. And we, we never really have long extended periods of time where it's the same. And so because agriculture is this human phenomenon that requires the manipulation of nature in some degrees, in small areas, to produce an outcome that's predictable, greenhouses just make that so much easier. Um, especially in cold climates like we're in, you can have, call it eight solid months of eating from your garden and then, you know, four months of downtime, but you're still eating from your garden just a little bit less. And then you got a lot of storage crops mm. uh, opposed to only like five, four or five without a greenhouse. So a nursery is really important, a small nursery where you can start stuff, but you can often stack that into your home, which is, which I would recommend if you're, if you're just getting started and you're looking where you want to start your tomatoes and all that, it's easier just to set up some lights or an area by some open windows, as long as they're facing south or get a good amount of light to start things. Um, and then another greenhouse, a high tunnel, which is where you would put, uh, you could seed things earlier in the season. So in our climates, they're fairly similar, you know, with a good high tunnel and an, un an unheated greenhouse, basically that's mm. sealed. You can get in there and be planting things like carrots in March, whereas outside you wouldn't be able to do that until late April, early May. Mm. You can seed spinach in late February. You know, you can you can get production from the land for such a longer period of time at the beginning and the end of the season. You know, at the end of the season, you can just have crops that you started in late summer or early fall, and then you can have a full greenhouse full of things like kale and broccolis and and cabbage and carrots and even potatoes that you can be harvesting in the ground all winter long. Mm. So that really, really extends your quality of life too, because you're eating fresh stuff from the ground. I want to go back to fruit here. How you said you have a lemon tree. Mm -hmm. oh, how, how, how tall is it? Uh, well, I've got my, my kefir lime tree here is about 10 feet tall. Um, my, one of my Meyer lemons that I'm looking at over here is about the same. I've got one, two, three, four other variations of funky lemons, and they're all around five to six feet tall. Wow. Yeah. So it's not that tall. No. You can keep them small. You know what, though? I, I wouldn't actually do it again. There's certain things, like I've got passion fruit in here right now that's just gone insane. Um, and that is doing really well in this greenhouse. The lemons, they don't do that great. They do mm -hmm. okay. Maybe what about the I, grapes? Oh, grapes are amazing. Yeah. Grapes are insane. I've also got grapes in my greenhouse. What I've tried to do in this greenhouse is, um, I'll just, I don't know if this will be on the podcast, but just to give you a little uh, yeah, look, look at where the, things are. The jungle. Um, that's my son crawling around. Um, um, yeah, it's a jungle and what that's what that's kind of what I want in the summertime I want there to be so much foliage in here that inside it's kind of like in the forest floor It's kind of cooler. Yeah, so that in the summer the foliage particularly the figs the cucumbers and the grapes their foliage I, I train them up so that they crowd out the plastic surface where the Sun comes in and then in the wintertime they come down and then I get lots of light in the winter 
So it keeps it cooler in the summer and then it remains nice and warm in the winter. But the lemons, I don't know. I don't know if I'd do it again. It's, uh, I'm going to build one of these at, at my new place attached to the house. And uh, I don't know if I do the lemons. The figs are a huge success, though. They're like amazing. How big is a fig tree? How tall is it? Oh, they're, they're pretty big. I mean, this is one. That's a fig right there. And it goes up to the roof. So it's, it's fairly big. Um, probably six foot radius. Oh no, six foot diameter and probably, you know, up to 10 feet tall. How, but this, how big is it when you buy it, when you get it? Or you, you're not going from seed, right? No, no, I'm not going from seed. These were, I bought these as potted plants and they were just like, you know, a few feet tall in a pot at that time. And uh, I don't even know what variety it is, but the sweet thing about this variety is that they fruit off the first year, off the, off the current year's growth. So I can literally, at the end of the season here, cut these down to the ground and then, and then that way there's lots of light that comes through and then they'll grow back up and pop new fruits, just like a tomato plant. It's quite amazing. How long yeah. did it take the fig tree to get to 10 feet or so? Oh, I mean, uh, what has it been? I mean, it was down, it was probably four feet tall in April. So, wow. you know, from wow. April till now. Wow. And that's because of the, this is working because of the greenhouse. Yeah. Like if I, if I did these outside, which there are people in the area that do them outside, there's a lot of Mediterranean gardeners here that do them outside and then they cut them right down to the ground in the fall. And then they cover the whole crown of a plant up with straw. And then that keeps the the crown alive and then they uncover it and then it comes back up in the spring. So Hmm. those guys, those figs outside will be a lot smaller, like probably half the size. Do the grapes, is it better for the grapes to be in the greenhouse instead of outside? Oh, no, no, no. I've got tons of grapes outside. Okay. But the, the point of the grapes in here are to get an earlier crop uh, and a later crop and also to give me um, some sun coverage or some, some shade in here in, in the summertime. Do the birds come after the grapes? No, not really. No, I don't really have that problem. I mean, if you do, you just put nets on them and then that that will uh, keep them off. That's what a lot of organic growers do is they, they put long white nettings over their berry crops. That's the interesting part about gardening slash farming. You're always up against mother nature somehow, some way. Oh yeah. The weather. Oh my Big gosh. Time. Weather's the biggest thing. If a hurricane or tropical storm comes through. Yep. It just yep. happened to me two weeks ago. <laughs> I'm out there like a rookie. Up like, in that no, area? Really? My corn. Yeah, oh, yeah, we got nailed. Oh, I, wow. I lost power for a day and a half. No way. The other thing with weather is, you know, there's geoengineering, there's harp. Some yep. people don't know what we're saying right now, but yep. you just don't know what's going to happen with the weather. I know. And that's another reason to have greenhouses because you don't Touché. know. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and if there, if, if, if if the stuff they're spraying in the in the with the geoengineering is uh, harmful to us, the sort of the aluminum, the barium, and all that stuff, um, another reason to have greenhouses to keep what's falling off the sky off your crop. Mm. Um, I don't know the the absolute truth with any of that stuff. I'm certainly aware of it. I mean, I as a guy who's spent the majority of my life outside over the last ten years, I can tell you that I witness that geoengineering all the time. I've looked at the flight path. These planes are not they're not commercial airliners Mm-mm. they're grid in the area and it's they actually stopped doing it here at least they significantly stopped doing it where i don't even notice it anymore 
uh, in the last few years. But I remember in my first couple of years of farming, this would have been in 2009 and 2010, I noticed it a lot. They were mm. doing this constantly. They grid the entire valley with these planes and you'd see them turn around and come back. So I don't know what the hell they're doing, but um, I don't know what, I don't know what to do about it. My, my, my friend John says, uh, I'm not in a hurry to worry about things that I can't change. Could you uh, create a microgreen farm right in a greenhouse? That's what this greenhouse was. I built this greenhouse for a fairly large scale microgreens production. And uh, we would, we were producing about 400 flats a week in here. Uh, at the height of its production. And so, yeah, you don't even need artificial light. Uh, you, a little bit of supplemental light at the, at the, the darkest month of the year, which is basically, you know, December 1st to January uh, 7th. That's kind of like the darkest period of the year. We would, uh, I had some shelves in here that had supplemental lights that I would run 24 seven and I would take batches of crops and put them under those lights for three or four days to finish them quicker. And then, but the, mo the most of their time would just be grown in the natural light, but it's so dark here in the winter um, that I would just finish them with a bit of artificial light. But, but mo most microgreen growers are actually just growing it entirely in artificial light. Mm. Yeah. It's low maintenance, right? It's fairly low maintenance. Yeah. I mean, it's not like, I mean, it, it has maintenance in other ways, you know, there's, it's uh doing that kind of farming is very repetitive and kind of mechanical because you're doing a lot of the same things over and over again it's like planting uh watering harvesting packing doing these same things over and over again whereas outdoor farming is so much more dynamic um because there's variables of weather and the land and all that mm. um but yeah i mean you you certainly can i mean i've got hundreds of if not thousands of students around the world that have taken what i've taught people about with microgreens on my online courses and stuff and doing it right and you, you can make a good living doing it just one crop basically well you can have a few but it's one type of crop a microgreen you know you right. have you might have like the you might sprouts. have up to yeah you might have to 10 different crops that you do but yeah it's they're all more or less the same as far as how they're grown a microgreen is the first foliage that grows after that so the, 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 sprout, the sprout goes down to the ground, forms a root. The microgreen is the thing that comes out after that, which is called the cotyledon, the first mm. two leaves that come out of the seed. That's what a microgreen is. And microgreens are just as healthy as far as I know. I'm not an expert on the nutritional value of all this stuff, but microgreens are, they say they're 10 to 15 times more nutritionally dense than the vegetable itself. Yep. Speaking of that, I never saw a chicken coop of any kind in your stuff. Are you animal free no 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 we we get our eggs from our my brother-in-law my, okay. my wife's brother he does he does he raises a lot of uh small game at our new farm we'll probably do it um it's been a space thing for us here we could probably integrate a chicken coop into here fairly easy if we wanted to um but up until this year i travel i tra do a lot of traveling for work i'd go on the road for a week or two weeks at a time and make videos from my membership site and uh, my YouTube channel. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. And so it was, it's been hard to have animals with our lifestyle, but now that we've kind of accepted that we'd actually just rather be here and not travel as much anyways, that we'll probably start doing more of that. Yeah. Cause when I saw you do the video with Doug and Stacy, I'm like, this dude's from Canada. What's he doing in Missouri? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I used to teach workshops all over the U.S. Um, and and when I'd go to do those workshops, I'd go and make videos too. And I also did just multiple road trips where I just make videos. Like I, we did a big one. Uh, we did a couple actually last year, but we did a big one in the middle of the U.S. We drove for two weeks and just basically made videos every single day. Ended up in, uh, we went from here basically as far as uh, Madison, Wisconsin, and then I came back through the north of the U.S. through Wyoming and all that. And yeah. But that's wow. becoming a lot more difficult to do now. And oh, I'm actually, yeah. I actually don't really care. I've, I'm kind of tired of traveling. I've, I've been, so. oh, I've just been doing it. You know, I started doing public talks into my second or third year of farming. And I would just be on the road all winter. Like mm. I'd just be flying places and all that. Yeah, I think the pandemic was a, a sort of a message to slow down. Get prepared, but slow down. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think it's really complicated, the whole thing. It's so it politicized. Is. Yeah. And there's like so many forces pulling this way or that way. And But um, yeah, it is. It is a slowdown thing. And I, I, I'm actually doing a podcast today with, another, with a guy named Rob Avis. And he, and he thinks part of uh, what it was designed to do was to prepare society for peak oil. Mm-hmm. And, and, and basically force slow down the economy so that we don't go over the edge too quickly. Mm-hmm. So I'll find out more about that today and <laughs> I'll circle back. When do you think the financial bubble is going to pop? If it does. I think it has popped in some ways. Cause I don't, I don't really ever think that things are monolithic. Like there's one thing that makes it all go. Mm-hmm. I certainly, the financial system is very centralized um i think elements of it have popped already and you know a lot of economists were saying that this is going to happen before this whole pandemic thing happened anyways um i i don't know when the financial bubble is going to pop but i expect by this november we're going to see a major event that's going to uh really shake us i think i think the u.s election after the election it has to yeah. be after can't be before. it's gonna be after yeah and, uh, i, I yeah. saw the pandemic coming i was t- i was warning people in february and yep so did people, I. people thought i was crazy yep um there's something there you know the kobe bryant tragedy happened he's buried totally. in, he's buried in corona california yep. there's so many cr- crazy things like that it's i saw like, it coming then too i i saw this all coming on january 29th I was on my way down to Phoenix, Arizona. I was catching a flight. I was, I had, uh, I was transit in Seattle and I got held up uh, with the TSA for nine hours. I missed my flight to Phoenix and Seattle airport was a gong show. There's always a lot of Asians at Seattle airport and Asians, a lot of Asians typically do wear masks in the flu season. And so that's not abnormal. But what was abnormal is the amount of people at that airport that were wearing masks and, and the vibe was scary. And uh, so I got turned around. They didn't let me into the US. I had to go home. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad I did because the minute I got home, I said to my wife, I was like, we need to start preparing. That's and at right. that time, we didn't really know what was going on. Like, 
we were still kind of cautious about the illness. And at this point, I have zero concern about getting that cold. Right. Um, but at that time, we were. So we we're taking precautions, but we started preparing like crazy, getting like stored food, and making sure that we're prepared for a lockdown. And, and I saw this stuff coming way back then. And I was telling people too, like, start getting prepared now. Yeah. Because they're going to bring this hammer down again in the fall. And uh, things could be a lot worse then. And it's really going to shake up a lot of small businesses too, unfortunately. So I hope people are, are preparing for another lockdown this fall. But may, you know, who knows? Maybe the political tides could tr change so much. I don't have faith in the political system. However, <laughs> what's going on with Trump is somewhat anomalous, it seems. Yeah. And the political tide might turn so much that maybe this whole thing gets shut down. To me, it, this is all the New World Order pushing their last-ditch effort mm. to bring the sort of tyrannical technocracy that they've wanted for hundreds of years. That's what it looks like to me. I could be wrong. Mm. It is what it is. But, yeah, yeah I don't know. We'll see. It's, it's interesting times. I mean, regardless, it doesn't matter what I think of what that political machine is going to do. My preparations and my... Um, my work now is the same regardless of what happens there. That's right. That's right. Get prepared, get connected, be, you know, get connected to your community, your family, start taking control of things in your own life. I like, that's probably one of the biggest messages that I've pulled out from this whole pandemic thing is like, we need to start being more responsible for everything we use in our lives to exist. Food, energy, water, community, money. How, how do we transact? How do we trade without, this sort of monolithic centralized system, how do we get along in the world? Yeah. And we need to start owning up and taking responsibility and be the ones we've been waiting for, right? Be, be our own second coming of Christ, be yeah. that for ourselves. And, and I think if we use this opportunity to kind of kick us in the butt and wake us up, I think a lot of good things can come out of this whole event. With all this preparation that you're doing, all this work you've been doing, are you at least having fun doing it? Oh, yeah. I wouldn't be doing it otherwise. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's a really good question because... Uh, it's all a game anyway. <laughs> if you aren't having fun doing this, you're not going to last long. And so you've got to enjoy the lifestyle and um, you have to... Yeah, you got to have fun doing it. I mean, that's the thing for us. It's just fun. We, we'd be doing this stuff anyways. Like I would be preparing for the same things at the same expediency, regardless of the pandemic. Well, maybe, maybe this whole thing kicked me in the butt a little bit more, but I've yeah. been preparing for this for 10 years, but I've wanted to get my family outside of the city for a long time. My wife and I've been talking about this for years. Yeah. There's just everything in that lifestyle is desirable and fun for us. And it just, it just, it's just, it's a whole package of amazingness where you can stack, like I said at the beginning of all these things of education of your kids, connection with your kids, connection with the divine through mm. meditation in, in, in the work of having your hands in the dirt and, mm. and, and doing these things that provide for you and you alone or your family, right? And, and owning your own work and owning everything about yourself. It's, it's a true sovereign uh, existence. And you, you dabbled with Zen, so uh, you have a, a, an understanding of this is all kind of a, an illusion game type of fantasy that we're in. 
hundred percent. So we might as well have fun preparing for. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the way I like to put it is um, when I signed up for this existence, I signed up for the whole human experience. Mm. I signed up for everything. And so that, that to me, that was a big thing I realized uh, before we decided to have kids because my wife and I intentionally had our children. But when I, when we decided to have kids, that was the biggest thought in my mind is, you know what? I signed up for the full human experience. When I came into this body from the divine, I want it all. I want the experience of having children and, 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 and all these beautiful things that life bring us. I want to do it all. And, and, and be, having kids is, is probably one of the biggest uh, things you can do in your life. And so mm. it's all part of that. Well said. That's a great way to end right there. We got, we can hear kids in the background. Yeah. It all makes sense. It all yeah. comes together. Totally. Totally. Curtis, I really appreciate your time, man. Hey, my, my pleasure, brother. What a conversation, huh? It's definitely something to open your mind as to what's happening right now. And of course, this podcast is usually mostly about your inner life, but we have to look at our outer life too. And things are changing right now. What do you do about those changes? The material world, the physical world needs your attention. You need to prepare, even if it's small steps. Not everyone is going to go all the way like Curtis is doing. Someone might be kind of right in the middle, like how I am. Or you might just take small little steps just to free yourself from the society and to be a little more self-reliant. Do make sure you find my meditation album on Spotify, Apple, or YouTube. And be sure to share this podcast and let people know that it exists. If you're looking for me, you can go to drreese.com. That's doctor spelled out. And I'll talk to you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. If this episode opened your heart, feel free to share on social media and tell your loved ones. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, may peace be with you.